Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And thanks again for joining me here at the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode seven, and that was Mitch Phillips. Check him out at mpvoice.com. As always, we appreciate his support and for lending his voice to the back of the range. We're going to jump into the episode pretty quickly this week, but before we do, you know the drill. You're probably listening through Apple Podcasts right now, but if you have friends that don't have an iPhone and are still trying to find out how to listen to the podcast, send them over to Stitcher or Google Play or Overcast. Also, we are on Instagram. You can find us at the Back of the Range Podcast. This is the best place to get the latest info. Preview clips, future guest announcements, it's all going to end up there first. And remember, the home base of the podcast will always be our website, thebackoftherange.com. Finally, you can reach me via email at ben at thebackoftherange.com. In fact, I'm starting to get some requests for shirts and hats and towels, uh, something that has the logo of the podcast on it. But I need some advice on this. What should I get printed up? Shirts, hats, towels? Now, don't be a smartass. I can't send you an M3 driver or a Cameron with the back of the range logo printed on it. We're not at that point yet. But seriously, if you have an idea, drop me a line, and you never know, I might just hook you up with something. So with the Winter Olympics just starting up, I started thinking of one of the marquee sports of the games, and that would be hockey. And then I started thinking about this week's episode, and I knew what had to happen. We needed a Canadian. But not just any Canadian. No, we needed a Canadian that played hockey as a kid and then college golf in South Florida that also owns a barbecue restaurant. Thankfully, I know a guy that fits that description. So this week's guest is Scott Kennedy, who hails from the golf-crazed town of Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. Scott's life in and around the game of golf has taken some absolutely ridiculous turns. In fact, I'm having a little trouble trying to cohesively introduce him for this damn episode. What can you say about a guy that's played college golf at Florida Atlantic University, then got into the mergers and acquisitions game in Dubai, then he quit that, came back to the States, found himself owning a nightclub, and now he's the co-owner of Smoke Barbecue in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Well, all I can tell you is that this episode is going to be a little different than the rest. So let's get it going. Scott, welcome to the back of the range. How you doing? I'm great, Ben. Thanks. How are you? Doing great. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me here at the back of the range. So we're just now getting into 2018. How's your game? And where are you playing most of your golf these days? I recently joined a, a club for the first time and probably... 12 to 15 years, I joined Grand Oaks in Davie. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm playing a lot. I Good. mean, I'm probably practicing more than playing, but I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I cannot use that as an excuse for bad play. No, know? no, of course not. Before we get into your start in the game, just really quickly, name three Canadians that own their own barbecue restaurant. Go. <laughs> I can name three that are in Canada. I don't know of uh, any <laughs> outside of uh, 
that are uh, in the U.S. Okay, good. Just wanted to clear that yeah. one up just because just uh, <laughs> I figured I'd get you on that one. So, Well, you know, the Canadian hotbed of barbecue. I just wanted to bring it south of the border. All right. Well, that, that works. That works. So uh, you mentioned you joined a club, uh, Grand Oaks in Davie, Florida. That is the uh, site of uh, where Caddyshack was filmed, which I'm sure you're, you're well aware of. Um, I am. So uh, before we talk about how you're playing now and your, your previous experience uh, playing amateur golf, tell me a little bit about how you got into the game um, in Canada, seeing how, uh, you know, hockey's kind of a big deal there. So how did you get into golf? It's pretty simple. I grew up in a town called Peterborough, Ontario, which is about an hour, hour and a half east of Toronto, kind of between Toronto and Ottawa. Okay. Uh, hockey was you know, everything in that town. Uh, there was a uh, Ontario Hockey League team, a junior team called the Peterborough Peets, where, you know, some of some of the best NHLers have actually come through. Gretzky actually played uh, one season in Peterborough. And, you know, I played as a youngster. Back at, back at this time, uh, contact uh, started at approximately, I think it was age 11. And uh, I was a pretty decent player, um, but I was always much smaller. And uh, as soon as the contact started, I ended up getting cut from the rep team. <laughs> so okay. I, uh, you know, and, and look, there, there, there was no visions of grandeur uh, in playing hockey. I played it because I loved playing it. I had started playing golf quite young. Uh, I was somewhere between seven and eight. My father was a member at a uh, semi-private club uh, called Pinecrest, which was in um, just outside of Peterborough. You know, we're talking dues of $500 a year. Majority of the members walked. It was on, you know, old farmland uh, owned by the Dixon family. A stereotypical story. I'd go out with dad and, you know, hit some balls and some old clubs Look, I really was drawn to it, and you know, by the time I was old enough to be a member, which was 10, you had to be 10, mom would basically drop me off at the course and during the summer months, and I'd, I'd be there sun up to sun down. Nice. Um, so it, it, it was... And there's less people it, hitting you. There's, there's what? There's, I'm sorry. There, there's less people hitting you than in hockey, so it oh, probably okay. that draw... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, you know, my general response is, is I, I became a golfer because I wasn't good at any other sport. So it was simple. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, you found something obviously that worked. Um, now, you, you made your way down to, to South Florida to play college golf at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton. But tell me how that whole thing happened, because I, I can't imagine that FAU is, you know, or just about any school in South Florida is recruiting really hard in Canada. I could be wrong, but I'm just I'm just guessing there. Well, I, I can tell you this that they, they weren't, and uh, there were definitely some strong Canadians uh, who were being recruited heavily. Uh, I wasn't one of them. Um, going back to Pinecrest, at the top of the hill, around the course from around the uh, corner from the golf course, there was a farmhouse owned by uh, John Kindred, and John was a unique fellow who was born just outside of Peterborough. He was the, uh, I believe he was either the first or the second, Bob Jamison might've been the first uh, Canadian ever to play on a college golf scholarship. He played at Florida state and 
Um, when I was 16, 17, uh, I got to see, got to know John. Uh, he would come up to Canada at the time. He was, he was a head professional at a uh, private club in Sarasota called uh, Gator Creek. And John would take some time off during the summer. He'd come up, play, and we'd get a chance to play. And, you know, I was playing fairly well, um, but I wasn't playing a lot of tournaments. Uh, you know, I, I worked during the summer. Uh, we're, you know, typical blue collar. And the idea of, you know, traveling all over the province or into the United States to play golf tournaments just, you know, it wasn't feasible. But I knew that I wanted to play college golf. I mean, it's, it, it was something that, you know, I loved the game. I wanted to pursue the game as a career. Uh, at least I thought I did at that point. Um, so John was kind enough to contact uh, the coach at Manatee Community College, which was in Bradenton. Yep. And um, they were, they were going to give me a position on the team. And, you know, and I ultimately came down to Manatee. And the, the year I started, they, uh, because of a Title IX issue, they ended up having to, you know, fold up shop for the men's golf program. So here I was now down in Sarasota uh, at Manatee, and I just wasn't sure what to do. And the reality was it was probably the best thing that happened because uh, it gave me a chance to, to work on my game, become better uh, acclimated to golf in Florida because it, there's a huge difference. What, what are know? some of the differences that, that you experienced playing up in Canada as, and then coming down? Uh, obviously, there's grasses and things like that. So give me some, give an example of that. There's the obvious ones, the grasses first. I mean, you know, uh, and the grass has changed quite a bit over the years. Uh, but back then, you, you, you know, you were seeing a lot of Bermuda. And the, the golf in uh, Canada, there was a lot of uh, Kentucky bluegrass and, and uh, you know, more denser uh, sure, blades. Sure. So you, just around the greens, it, it, it took several months to not look like a complete schmuck around the green because it, the Bermuda just, you know, beat you up. Uh, putting was very different. Again, the, you know, the greens have really improved here that, you know, the Tiff Eagle and these types of blends, they're not as grainy as it used to be, but, you know, uh, for someone who had not played on it, um, man, it wreaked havoc. Uh, so that was part of it. The other part was, I had um, I had hit balls in the in the winter time, sure. But for the most part, the clubs, you know, they basically went away, and this is pretty typical of most Canadian golfers. You know, there's some pluses and minuses to that. Obviously, you you're recharged and you're ready to go when season comes, but season's pretty short. You know, I kind of fell into that big you know <clears throat> big fish small pond, right? So you start playing down here and you start playing with the uh, guys who are, you know, in college down here or they're finished college and they're turning professional and you, and just the depth of the fields, you know, just playing some amateur, you know, County stuff or city championships. And it's really a wake up call quickly. And you're like, Holy mackerel. And to add to it, uh, and I believe it's still there. Uh, Bradenton is home to what was then the Ledbetter Academies. So at that time, 
you could go out and you could play the city of Brinton or the city of Sarasota and you'd have, you know, 15 kids who were all going to play major division one golf. I, I remember Trent Leon was one in particular. He ended up at Oklahoma state. Peterborough, Ontario didn't have quite have this depth of field. No, you know? probably not. So, so back at, so you make the move down to, to Boca Raton, Florida from, from Canada what kind of a culture shock was that? Just, I mean, set aside the golf aspect of it, but just, you know, you, you come down to Sarasota and now you're in Boca. I mean, actually you could probably speak to the difference between Sarasota and Boca Raton. Look, I thought, I thought Sarasota was, you know, one of the greatest places I've ever been. I had only been to Florida once before, um, before the move. When the transition happened to Florida Atlantic, uh, it was a really unique situation because I was in need of scholarship money, athletic money or academic, either way. And this is in the late nineties and the Canadian dollar was, you know, 60 cents to the American dollar. I mean, uh, you add out of state tuition. I mean, the, the, the costs were just astronomical. So I needed some help and, uh, coach Scott Williams at FAU, I talked to him several times on the phone and, you know, he invited me to come down and I, I vividly remember driving down here and I was, you know, I'd gotten off of the turnpike and was driving down Glades Road in Boca and it's lined with palm trees and the, the, the grass was manicured perfectly. And again, Sarasota was a wonderful place. Boca to me was like, different you world. gotta be kidding me. I mean, yeah. this is how people are living. Yeah. It's you know, a, it's a different world. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm in my uh, 1992 Chevy Caprice white classic. Look like I, you know, took it right out of the police station. So I, you know, not exactly fitting in exactly right yeah. away. So, so tell so tell me about uh, tell me about the team. Any of the guys that you played with? Any how was your how was your 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 three year letter winner for the Owls uh, from from 2000 to 2003? Looks like you pretty much played in just about every tournament. So you had a pretty solid three year career there with FAU. So I spent two years at Manatee, which meant I actually lost the clock started right. on my uh, NCAA. So I only actually had three years left when I came to FAU. When I transferred in, uh, the the number one player was uh, a fellow named Matthew Anderson, who's you know a dear friend of mine. He's out of Tampa, plays a lot of the FSGA events, and he's also my USGA four ball partner. Um, look, we were we were a middle of the road Division One team. Uh, with the aspirations of being a top-tier D1 program. And w- looking back at it now, I mean, those were the best years. I mean, sure. here you are, you're playing golf every day. The team had a, a fellow from Norway, Nikolai Syverston, uh, another player from Sweden. We, had, we actually had a player from uh, Morocco. You know, it's a, uh, a melting pot team for example and you're just learning you're playing together you're traveling together you you know you have classes together it's just it honestly is the best experience bar none i mean yeah would it be would have been great to play at oklahoma state of course yeah but it would be a very different experience i suspect and i i just you know i i look back at it and you almost you almost regret not appreciating it as much as you should have. And 
you know, it's age and maturation, but sometimes you just have to kind of take a step back and, and really look at it and go, I mean, who's got it better than us? Yeah. Right. No, I, I, I you're, you're absolutely right. And, well, I think a lot of it is, is, and, and we've had other people on the, on the podcast talk about this as far as college golf goes, but you really have to find the program and the scenario that, that matches, that matches up with you and be honest about that. Not everyone's a D one, you know, uh, huge, uh, you know, huge program guy, you know, find something where you're going to be able to play and compete and have fun. And it sounds like that's what you had at FAU. Well, I, I, you're exactly right. I mean, I was a, that, that program fit me to a T. Yeah. Um, I could play, I, you know, I transferred in, I played every tournament. Um, I, I never missed a tournament. I qualified for all of them. I believe we won two college events. As, as a team, you know, we, you know, we never sniffed the NCAA regionals, but it doesn't, it doesn't hamper or in any way impact the experience of it. When you think back to your days in college playing golf with those guys at FAU, give me a story of just an absolute shaking my head. I can't believe we got away with this. I can't believe we did this. Cause you know, before, um, you know, College is college, and even though golf is a serious thing, we, we us golfers still like to have a little bit of fun every now and again. So, uh, yeah, there's no question. I can tell you this. Okay, yeah, give me a good. And one. I don't, you know, um, I know that uh, Coach Williams is no longer with FAU, but uh, <clears throat> which is good. So <laughs> okay. we had uh, we had gone up to University of West Florida's tournament, and this was in late January, early February, and this is up in the Panhandle. Pensacola, Pensacola, Florida. Yep. Pensacola. That's a a 10 hour drive from here. It was brutally cold. Now let's keep this in perspective. Brutally cold for, for me growing up was minus 20, minus 25. It was like, you know, 35. Yeah. So it was a very good field, quite a few big 10 teams there. Um, And at the time, uh, Illinois was there and they had a Canadian named James Lepp who I believe went on to win an NCAA championship. Good player, great player, actually, out of British Columbia. And Coach Smalls, Mike Small, um, was reluctant to have us play. And I don't know if it was because of the difficulty, the course, the weather, whatever it was, or he he wanted to make sure that, you know, look, in all honesty, if you're, I'm not sure exactly how the NCAA regionals worked at that time, but uh, strength of schedule was obviously a concern and things like that. He wanted his team to produce and uh, it was windy and cold. It was, you know, miserable. Well, we were thinking there was going to be a delay. So the night before uh, myself and, and, uh, uh, a couple of the guys on the team decided we were going to go out on Pensacola beach and see what this was all about. Now, you know, it's in theory, it seems like a great idea. Um, we went and had a, maybe had a couple of adult cocktails and, uh, you know, we met up with a couple of the other teams and, uh, and then, uh, the, uh, the next morning came, uh, very, very early, very quickly. And, I've done a lot of dumb things, but you know, there, there's, there's something to be said for uh, trying to play hungover 
at, uh, you know, uh, a 30 degree with uh, 25 mile an hour winds and your coach is just breathing down your neck about what you did the night before. It's funny because we, we when we were <laughs> out in Pensacola Beach, you know, we met all these local yokels and, uh, you know, a couple of them ended up showing up at the golf course. The next oh, day. God. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. So needless to say, they weren't necessarily properly attired for the event. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, so, so it was, so, so it was you... a perfect combination of, uh, you know, a big night out and, and then uh, not not even letting the night end. It just kind of continued to drag on into the morning. So. Oh, well, you were out recruiting. You're out bringing fans to the <laughs> yeah. course. So I think yeah. what you're doing is you're trying to grow the game in Pensacola, basically. Yeah, this was, this was out of the love for the game. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> exactly. that's, that makes sense. So um, so apparently this team was no stranger to antics off of the golf course. What, what about on the golf course? Any hijinks that I should be aware of? The team were up at a tournament in, at Daytona Beach, and we had just gotten in these brand-new ping for golf bags and you know for me it they were just they were amazing right the logo and you know this is this is one of the the great incentives of college golf is is carrying a team bag sure and uh the coach at the time was a fellow named john bullis he was an englishman and uh very respectful of the game uh, an excellent player himself and he had a discussion with us and he's like boys listen don't let anything happen to these bags right? You know, carry them with pride, make sure they look nice, you know, yada, yada, yada. So we're playing the practice round and it's Matt Anderson and Nikolai Syverson and, and Mike Daly. And, you know, like most college practice rounds, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, we got a little skin on the game and, uh, you know, maybe five or 10 bucks. And on the 13th hole, I set my bag down and I go to chip and I, uh, and I flub it. A cup goes straight under it. And it was like all in one action. I flubbed it and then turned and swung my club at the bag. And I hit the, uh, the leg of this brand new bag. I mean, this thing wasn't but 24 hours old. And, and I dented the leg and I was so, oh my God, I was so angry. And, you know, like good teammates, it ratted me out the second I got back to the van. Of course. And, uh, you know, coach was, you know, John was like, Hey, you know what? That stuff happens, you know, don't worry about it. So the next morning's the first round of the tournament and, uh, we're staying on the beach in Daytona and we go to De- Denny's to have breakfast. Um, and we're coming back from breakfast and I go up into the room to grab my clubs and I go up there and my clubs are on the bed with no bag. There's, there's a public shopping bag that's got my gloves my tees and my balls and on the bag it says i was warned and now i will be made an example of and john bullis made me carry my clubs without a bag <laughs> for, for this for the first round of this event holy shit are you serious <laughs> yeah he didn't just you had yeah. to carry them by hand, just like you just you're just rolling down, like you just stole 14 golf clubs out of a Dick's Sporting Goods. You 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 got it. I, I they're they're in my hand in one hand, and then a public shopping bag with this handwritten note in Sharpie with my balls and my bag or my uh, gloves and my tees in my right hand. And I, I, that's you know, awesome. Some, 
some would say it's excessive, but uh, hey, I've never damaged another bag. That's for sure. <laughs> that's outstanding. Right? <laughs> wow. So FAU, you, you, you finish up your career at FAU, and obviously there's that time where you're, I guess, you have to kind of think to yourself, all right, am I going to actually play this game professionally or am I going to go get a job and do my thing? Uh, talk me through how, uh, you know, that decision process came about and where you headed right after school. So uh, I had, you know, I still had this inkling that I wanted to play golf for a living. And when my eligibility was up, the university allowed uh, allowed me the opportunity to stay on as an assistant coach. And I was finishing up my MBA right before graduation in April, I took a student loan out because during the summers I had, I had never had the opportunity to go and play kind of the traditional college summer schedule, you know, playing the North South or sure. the sunny Hana, whatever it may be. So I took out a small student loan uh, against, you know, everyone's advice at that point. And I decided, look, I'm going to play for the summer and I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to have a great experience and I'm going to see kind of where I match up. Um, at the time we had a, a Nor another Norwegian on the team named Torstein Neverstead, who was that's an excellent that's player. Great, that's a great, and a name. great name. That's absolutely. Wow. <laughs> and Torstein, eventually he ended up transferring and finishing that Florida state excellent player. Well, I had submitted a ballot entry and uh, now I believe the ballot entries are based off the world amateur golf rankings, but I submitted a ballot entry um, to play the British amateur and I was fortunate enough to get in. So I went over to Scotland. It was the 250th anniversary of the RNA it was a huge deal because the tournament was actually at the old course. It was on the old course and Jubilee course. And so, so, let me, let me just, so, so let me just make sure I understand this correctly and make sure our listeners are following along here. You mm -hmm. took a student loan to finance your amateur golf career and travel expenses. That's a hundred percent right. Fantastic. I mean, it's a Fantastic. America's a great country in oh, so many ways. Ben. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, I could, yeah. if you needed help spinning that into just calling it an educational experience, I could probably help you with that, but it sounds like you did fine on your own. So I'm sorry. Continue. Well, 250th. Yeah, go it, ahead. It, it was an educational experience. I, it just okay. wasn't in the sense of the traditional education. Right. Sounds, sounds I, those are the best kind. So, so it's the 250th British am you yeah. lucky bastard at the old course. You lucky bastard. Amazing. Yeah. So, um, you know, so my caddy, um, the golf coach that I grew up with in Peterborough was able to come with me and caddy for me, which was a wonderful experience. A fellow named Mark Cramp, and he was instrumental in getting me, you know, into a position where I could, you know, play at the collegiate level. And he was able to come over and share it with me. You talk about experiences and, um, you know, when we talk about golf experiences, the, the night before the start of the event, uh, we're invited to the RNA clubhouse. And, of course, uh, you are. of course. Right. So we go into the clubhouse and they've got this, you know, scotch tasting and, you know, you're able to look and obviously the Claire Jugs on site. And it's just, you know, you have to stop and kind of pinch yourself and go, I, I mean, are, are you kidding me? I mean, five years ago, I'm, I'm playing golf in a farmer's field in Peterborough. And here I am at the home of golf 
about to complete uh, to compete in the British Amateur, and I'm with you know a lifelong friend. I mean, it, how, how does it get any better than this? Yeah. And every night when we first got to Scotland, every night we had a pint and uh, and a bite tea at the Dunvegan. Yeah. What which is was is owned well it's actually been sold now but shira and her husband her husband was a texan I believe he was an aggie salt of the earth people i think and it's i think it's sheena and jack willoughby is who you're sheena, thinking of. i'm yep, sorry that's okay sheena i apologize and you know she recognized us when we kept coming back and the night before we went to the rna clubhouse we were all dressed up she came out and she said oh boys let me let me get a picture of you and so she took a picture of mark and i and you know the next day we when we were back in there she put the picture up on the bar and i and it's it's almost comical because our mr palmer was in st andrews for the gala for the 250th anniversary and she had a picture with him from the night before and then she had a picture of uh trip keeney who i believe had you know, recently won the U.S. Mid-Am or at that time was, you know, one of the best, you know, amateurs in, in uh, probably in the world. Um, and then there's two schmucks from Peterborough, you know, <laughs> and and we're, and there's the three pitchers and Palmer and Keeney and, and uh, Kennedy, obvious, right? Just rolls off the tongue. I mean, it's just <laughs> perfect. I mean, that's all you yeah, need is a fourth it, and you're, you're set. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, you know, what, what's really missing? So we end up playing the tournament. I shoot 71 the first round, which was one under. Solid. And uh, it was windy and a little rainy. And this, this was the mindset. We're, we're coming off the course and we're making, you know, coming off the 18th and go to the tent. And then we're making the trek up to the Dunvegan again. And Mark and I were patting each other on the backs. Man, that was a great round. Could have been... 69 maybe 68 if you got you know everything going and i'm like yeah yeah i mean can't you know can't wait to get out there and uh, a young fellow named robert dinwiddie he was a englishman who had played on the walker cup team uh three groups behind me shot 62 and whoops <laughs> mark and i literally we had a pint and a meal and we're still patting each other on the back. We go back to look at the leaderboard. Hey, let's get a picture. You know, this is the start of something great. We're going to let's get into match play. You don't know where it's going to go. And then we see that number. And if there was ever a time in my life where the, the light bulb went off and said, you, you know, holy shit. I mean, you need a job. I mean, that, I just didn't have that gear. It, you know, some people say to you, oh, you know, you don't know that you could have got better or, you you know, you just had to keep playing through this stuff. But I, look, I didn't have that mindset. I, I didn't see 62 out there. I didn't see 67 out there. Look, the mini tours littered with really great players. But the ones that separate themselves, as obvious as this is, are the ones that can take it deep sure. and aren't afraid to. And that is just I just couldn't well, believe it. Well, I'll tell you what. Of all the places to learn that about yourself and your golf game, to learn it in St. Andrews at the home of golf, that's still a pretty cool place to learn it. 
So yeah, you could learn I, I it mean, after the, getting the shit kicked out of you on like some mini tour in, in, in Navarre Beach, Florida, or God knows where. And, you know, you, you could learn all over the place. But to learn it at the British Amp, that, hey, there's no doubt, at least you know it. A hundred percent. I mean, it, it was really a turning point for me in my life. Although I had other tournaments throughout the summer, I was going to come back and play the North South and, and play the, the Barrett East Coast Amateur and the Canadian Am and stuff like that. It, it, it actually freed me up. It made, it made, I knew that I wasn't going to play. I mean, I, I think I'm deep down, uh, you know, I didn't want to admit to myself that I wasn't at that level, but I had this sense of confirmation in a good way. And here I am in, in arguably, you know, one of the most important places for the game to have this revelation. Sure. I mean, hey, it's meant to be. Absolutely. So, so that, I mean, that's just phenomenal. That, so you played the British Am. Did you end up making match play? No, I fired 78 the second round. Okay. And and if, if I needed any other confirmation after the uh, 62 revelation, the 78 confirmed it. There you go. <laughs> So, now was your was your seventy eight on Jubilee or was it on the old? It was on the I think it was on Jubilee, um, and the weather the second day when I shot the seventy eight, we were actually pulled off the golf course. You know, the argument was is oh the RNA never stops play. That is not true. Okay. No, they stopped in the Open Championship in uh, sure. Yeah, in, you in know, 15. and and oh, they'll play in anything. Yeah. You can play in the worst weather over there, no question. But even as hard as those greens are, if there's enough rain, it pools everywhere. So it doesn't matter. And, and you know, I, I just – I had never played in conditions like that. So you're, you're – you and the British Amateur, and at this time you're looking to, to – obviously you just said to yourself, you know, I need to get a job. Um but before we get into what you're doing now, which is, as you said, you own a barbecue restaurant here in South Florida called Smoke, and and you've had been involved with other restaurants uh, previously. So tell me a little bit how you kind of got into that realm uh, briefly. So Ben, what happened was is that you know when I decided that hey, you know what, golf's not going to work. I had interned you know for a couple summers at Ernst and Young, uh, so I went there. And I was uh, an auditor in the real estate practice for a couple of years and had an opportunity to transition into their um, group that was working with private equity firms specifically in mergers and acquisitions okay. that, uh, you know, afforded me a luxury to kind of travel all over the world. Um, and I ended up lastly in Dubai and <clears throat> I was basically burned out um, Look, I, I was home 75 nights in like three years. Wow. And I had gotten married in between that. And it just, as much as I was enjoying what I was doing, I missed being at home. I missed playing golf a lot. I had, uh, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of time. And although I did get to play some great golf courses, I've played all over the Middle East and, you know, and, and some very unusual places. But, I decided to uh, quit, and with the support of my wife um, and a, a lifelong friend, Steve Chin, he was a very successful entrepreneur, and he said, you know, come and work with me, and, you know, we'll do something together. And as I mentioned, you know, he had a passion for golf, and 
I had a dear friend who was a teaching pro up in New York, just outside of the city at a club called Glen Oaks, spectacular place. He told me about a fellow named Marius Filmalter, who was this, you know, quote unquote, punning guru. And, you know, I, I got a hold of Marius and, and I went and spoke with him and listened to his story. And he just had this, the most ridiculous story. You know, he was this research scientist and uh, he was studying the yips and the impact of the yips on surgeons. And then sometime in, in the 80s, he got hooked up with Bernhard Longer, who was struggling at that time with his putting. And um, Marius ended up transitioning into golf uh, because he saw the correlation and, you know, he, he thought it was fascinating. Uh, a lot of his input uh, can be uh, had significant influence on this um, the Sam Putting Lab. Of course. Uh, and then he then released a product called the Tommy System. You know, Marius had come to the U.S. Interestingly enough, he had the opportunity to go and do continuous research with Dave Peltz um, or Hank Haney. And he ended up going to Texas, uh, to Dallas, or just outside Dallas with Hank Haney. Because at the time, Tiger was was working with Hank. So, you know, Marius knew that he would have an opportunity to research and kind of get an idea of what was making this guy tick. Well, Marius never had, never had representation and he was kind of a one-off. He, you know, he did his own thing. And I said to Marius, look, you've got a lot of great information. Let's collect it up. Let's repackage it so that it's easier for the average person. I mean, you know, here's a guy who had hundreds of thousands of putting strokes of some of the greatest players of all time, all the way down through, you know, the average 20 handicap. And he wasn't doing anything with it. So he was just, and, just stockpiling data and he just had nothing. Not, so he had just no way it. to get it out. Okay, gotcha. So the long and the short of it is we uh, came to an agreement and uh, with the help of Steve Chin, we ended up shooting a putting DVD uh, under, you know, uh, called Automatic Putting, and it was under the Marius Golf brand. And it was obviously nothing like anything I had done before. You know, I, I certainly had never been in any sort of production or development or marketing of a product. It was a huge learning curve. It was. I, to say it was uh, successful is, look, there isn't a second one. So I don't <laughs> want to say that it was wildly successful, but it, it certainly wasn't a disappointment either. It We tried to improve players' putting, and, and, and I think we were successful in that. So, you know, we, Stephen and I did this project together. We had a great time. We went out on tour. We shot some all these different things and you know we traveled and and we decided you know what we're gonna we're gonna continue doing ventures together and and we had talked uh not a lot i might add but you know one night after a couple cocktails we were like you know you ever wanted to own a nightclub and uh is what is what steve broached to me and i was like uh no not really but uh He's like, well, I, I think we should, we should buy a place. 
And, uh, you know, look, I'm young and dumb. I sure. said, yeah, sure, let's do it. And we did. And we bought a, a, a Mexican restaurant called Caliente Kitchen. We bought the lease. And we lost so much money in the first year. <laughs> I mean, it's it was, you know, just think about my poor wife. I had a steady paycheck. I'm over, you know, building a, a career in Dubai and whatnot. And then the next thing I know is I tell her, hey, I'm quitting and I'm going to shoot a golf DVD. And then two years later, hey, I own a nightclub now. I mean, it all makes uh, sense to me, but I'm single oh, no, with no kids and I have no responsibilities other than making sure this podcast goes out every week. So it sounds great to me, but I would imagine your wife probably had some uh, concern. Oh, concern. If, if you thought she was mad when I left Dubai, she was furious when we bought the nightclub. Nice. So the nightclub provided this opportunity and it was an opportunity to look into this industry and not necessarily just the alcohol component, but it was really more the food component. As I mentioned before, when I worked with Ernst Young, I worked with private equity and I was in Fort Worth, Texas for a couple of years with uh, TPG, which is Texas Pacific group. When I was in Texas, you know, barbecue was king there. It's bigger and there. It's lot, bigger there than in Canada. I mean, I'm just, I'm just telling barely. you. Barely. Not, not, not much bigger. Okay. I mean, there, there's not much better than smoked bear and smoked deer. I mean, the burgers but, are the know. size of hockey pucks. You understand that, right? <laughs> so I, I fell in love with it. I, I loved the communal nature of it. it. It was something that appealed to everybody, obviously, if you're not vegan, but it, it weirdos young old it didn't matter people like barbecue and um you know we were doing you know we had the nightclub and we had it for approximately three years and we had a few years left on our lease and we made the decision to transition it to uh, a place called smoke smoke barbecue and it uh it we opened it approximately i believe it was 2014 and it was very well received. We brought a uh, pit master down from uh, a well-known barbecue place called Oklahoma Joe's. And, um, you know, he, he put together the first menu and how we were going to direct things. And, and, it, and it sounds like a weird transition, but really when back, back when I was in Texas, I knew that I was going to be in that business at some point. Because it, much like the golf, uh, I, maybe it's OCD, I don't know what it is. But when I make the decision that I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And it may not, I, I've never been afraid to fail. Because Lord knows my golf game has been more about failure than it has success. Well, that goes with everyone's golf game, to be honest right. with you. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but this, you know, smoke is, is the most rewarding thing I've done uh, from a career standpoint, I, I, I feel very, very blessed that, again, my wife has always had a good career. We don't have any kids, so uh, there's a lot less stress. So that if you do have failures, which truthfully you're probably going to when you're starting a business, sure. or at least some slip-ups. Um, Sounds like your your no-fear attitude in business translates pretty well into how you play your golf with you know nothing to lose. Just go ahead and go for it. Then I believe that I'm a better player now than I was in college. And I, I think it's in part um, a regular partner of mine. I, I played a tournament recently, a senior junior tournament, 
you know, player I was playing with a very, very successful uh, amateur in, in the state of Florida, Peter Wegman. And <laughs> I know Peter uh, Wegman. <laughs> we, <laughs> so Peter, Peter and I are playing an alternate shot format. And it was really one of the first times that I had, had really noticed this, but I kept leaving poor Peter three foot, four foot putts past the hole. And it dawned on me, it was instinctual for me to hit the ball more than it was to roll the ball in the greens. You know, I, I'm going to make it. That was my thought. And if I didn't make it, yeah, probably wasn't going to creep by, you know, sure. and, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's how I played. And poor Peter, he, I probably knocked a year off his life having to make all of those, <laughs> which he did. Um, but yeah, it's, there is a translation. I think that's partly why I'm enjoying the game more and more. And, you know, I had several years where I didn't play. Um, and it wasn't because I didn't want to, it was because I was focusing on the business. And sure. Having joined Grand Oaks and getting back into it now is because I miss the competitiveness. I miss being around the guys on the range. I miss the you know, I want that urge of having a chance to, to win a tournament or being in that, at least in the game, you know, sure. coming down. And the adrenaline to me is as addictive as any drug. So last year, you, you ended up at the, uh, the U.S. Amateur Four Ball at Pinehurst, uh, but not just, I mean, qualifying for USJ is, is exceptional no matter where it is and when it is and whatever it is, whether it's a U.S. Am or, or the Mid-Am. But you're at the USAM four ball at Pinehurst. Now, what was so special about that? Well, you know, for me, uh, the the obvious assumption would be, well, it's my first USGA event. But the irony of it was that the event was uh, 10 years. The start of the tournament was 10 years to the day in which I got married at Pinehurst. So my wife and I literally went back to Pinehurst on our 10th anniversary um, to celebrate the anniversary. And, and uh, you know, much to her chagrin, you might as well I play also golf. had a golf tournament. Might as, well, might as well play. That's brilliant, dude. That is brilliant. Right? Man, you are just winning with the whole marriage thing. I mean, just. just yeah. Oh, no, I know. I, she is literally the most patient woman in the world. God bless her. Because So, so oh. what did you get her for the anniversary present? I think, is it is Caddy Bib 10-year anniversary, or is that or is that what that is? Yeah, it's it's Caddy Bib Sand Wedge. Yeah, there you go. So, okay. yeah. So, so ten year anniversary at Pinehurst. Sorry, sorry, sweetheart. Uh, go get a facial. Go to the spa. I got golf to play. Um, how was how was that uh, how was that experience playing the U.S. Four Ball? Look, it's amazing because you know, uh, and I and I've listened to some of the other podcasts and the, and the, what? the players talk what? about. There's other po- what your 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 podcast. Oh, your other okay. Interviews. Yeah, I got I'm nervous. I, I thought I was the only one you know, doing with, this. All right, go ahead. Steven Anderson, I believe it was Doug Snope. Yeah. Uh, talking about their USGA experience, look, there's nothing better than it. Uh, you know, I've had the pleasure of playing in, you know, Canadian AMs, Canadian mid-AMs, obviously the British amateur, that was a very unique experience because of the place and the time. But to have, to play your first USGA event at a place like Pinehurst, uh, it's incredible. I mean, what can, what more can you ask? And here I am, I'm paired with, you know, a lifelong friend, who was a groomsman in my wedding 10 years to that day. Wow. And, you know, look, we, we missed the cut by three shots, two shots. Doesn't it didn't matter. really matter. Doesn't matter. 
you know, you, you know, we went out, we played our best, you know, you make a couple extra parts, you're in, you, if you don't, you're not, Yeah. but you're just taking in the experience. The USGA does just a phenomenal job in creating a professional event experience for amateurs. I had feared as I was getting older and hadn't been playing that I may never get that opportunity to play in the USGA event. And there has been, you know, there's been some mutterings and I've talked to some very good players who don't feel that a four ball format is a good format for a national championship. And I would disagree. I mean, look, the object in holding a national championship is for, you know, to identify the best team at that time, you know, and albeit, you know, the one downfall to the four ball is because it's an early, it's a spring tournament. The qualifying can be, you know, five, six months in advance sure. of the tournament. Yeah. Um, you can look at it as a negative, but you can also look at it as a positive If the team qualifies and they do not, play their best well they weren't intended to win they weren't the best team at the event and and so be it that it's that okay well look we're not pros and i may never see another usga event i don't you know i'd hate to say say that that's the case but who knows they're very difficult to qualify for i know ben you played one, two I, U.S. Mid-Am? I got one. I got a 2012 okay. U.S. Mid-Am, and, and you're 100% right. It's an amazing experience. And, and my opinion on the U.S. four ball and about the, um, you know, the qualifying times and, and whether it's fair or unfair, hey, it's the USGA. You're not go. The winner of the U.S. four ball is the one that wins the tournament at that time of the year. The Agreed. qualifier is a separate tournament. If you win that tournament or you, you know, top two, top three, whatever it is, you got to win this tournament to get to play in the other one. They're two separate things. Agreed. That, that's my feeling on it. And, the, and qualifying in its own right is, I mean, the spot that we qualified at was in Naples, Florida. And, you know, you could look down that list and you have Studs. so many FSGA champions. You have, you know, stud high schoolers who are going to become D ones. You have current college players. You've earned your spot. If you finish in that top two or top three or win it, you know, so, you know, it's just, you just got to take it in because you don't know if you're ever going to get to see it again. Absolutely. And when you, when you talk to guys who have played in, you know, multiple USGA events, it's a feather in their cap and they, and it really has to be regardless of the success at the event to get through to the event is a major accomplishment, Absolutely. you know, especially when you talk about multiple times. Oh yeah. Those, those guys are, yes. I, there's people that yeah. are in double digits and they're just, they're aliens. So that's just, yeah, that's just ridiculous. So um, before we get to, uh, before we get to a couple of final questions, just want to ask you like, so what are your plans for this year? Are you playing a lot of tournaments? Are you looking for more business? Uh, you have more business plans. What's, what's your year looking like? Uh, as far as golf goes, I, I plan uh, I plan to play as many FSGA events as I can, you know, both two-man and individually. I have uh, been very blessed to have the opportunity to play some of the, uh, you know, cocktail circuit events, probably go to Birmingham National or the Birmingham Invitational um, and maybe up to Oak Hill or, or whatnot. But 
truthfully, what I would like to do this year is to play as much as I can locally, you know, get into a position to win, whether you win or you don't win, but be competitive. You know, I'd love to play in the Florida Cup team in the fall. That's, you know, it's just a little, it's a, it may sound like a small goal, but for me, it's, you know, this is why you hit, a, you know, a few extra balls or you spend an extra hour, you know, putting and chipping because, you know, you want the opportunity to compete at the highest level. So it's it, 2018 is going to be a very, very big year for me, both playing and, and, and uh, with the business. And we just got to keep positive and, uh, you know, I, I feel pretty comfortable that things have worked out so far. Sounds like and it. that uh, <laughs> it'll sounds, sounds like you, you know. just uh, you roll the dice and you it uh, you're doing pretty good. So, uh, well, we'll we'll definitely keep an eye on on your your golf progress, and also uh, we'll have links to Smoke uh, Barbecue in the show notes, so people can, if you're in South Florida and you want to get some good barbecue, we'll point them in that direction. And now, time for a quick bucket. We have a segment here at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast called the Quick Bucket. So some quick questions. Uh, we always ask our guests these, and sometimes they change, sometimes they don't. But first one we're going to have for, have for you is this. Um, Jack Nicholas, his victory in 1986 at the Masters, or a fifth green jacket for Tiger Woods? Which would be the bigger victory? The biggest victory for uh, the tour players would be Tiger's fifth because it would just help the TV contract. Those right, boys take, are doing take, okay. Take your business hat off and just be a damn <laughs> golf fan and just answer the question. Jack Come Nicholas, on. no question. Right. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's incredible, and it's it, it, it as good and as athletic and as as strong as players are uh, to do that at forty six. I mean, come on. Yep. This you know not to be repeated. Gotcha. All right, so here's another one for you. You can give a major championship to anyone in history, male or female, alive or dead. They could have no majors, 18 majors, 10 majors, doesn't matter. Who's uh, who's getting a major championship? Well, you're not going to know who it is, and I mentioned him earlier on the podcast and our, during our interview is uh, this gentleman, John Kindred. Uh, you know, the, he was a Canadian uh, professional golfer, you know, played the tour a little bit, played the Canadian tour. And he was instrumental in giving me the opportunity to come to Florida. He loved the game more than anyone I've ever met. Um, his playing career was limited as he was growing his family and whatnot. And I would love for him to be recognized as as great a player as he was with a major. Awesome. So since you are in the restaurant business, I'm going to give you the opportunity to... Um, jump in front of Sergio and may, and set his menu for the Masters Champions Dinner, and it's going to be catered by Smoke Barbecue. What are you bringing to the Masters to serve at the Champions Dinner? The answer is Smoke Pastrami. Okay. Smoke Barbecue, it brines, cures, and smokes its own pastrami. It's unlike any other pastrami you'll eat. It's, uh, it's an homage to Montreal smoked meat and you know, traditional Jewish pastrami that you'd find in any New York deli. But I would put it up against anything that's in, in the market. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Scott, you made it. I appreciate the time here at the back of the range, and we'll keep an eye on your uh, your golf this year, and uh, hopefully you and I will get out and play soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Ben. Anybody else hungry now for a damn pastrami sandwich? Jeez. Thanks a lot. 
Well, seriously, thank you very much to Scott Kennedy for spending some time with us here. Go check out his restaurant, Smoke Barbecue, down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And we will see you again next week for another episode of the Back of the Range Golf Podcast.